I didn't grow up in a world where Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father was a shock. I never got to sit in a dark theater and hear a crowd gasp as James Earl Jones bellowed, No, I am your father. And when I watched Return of the Jedi for the first time and heard Frank Oz soberly declare, Your father he is, it was no longer confirmation. It was common knowledge. I have often regretted that I heard the greatest revelation in cinematic history secondhand, but maybe I missed the point. Maybe The Empire Strikes Back is less about revelations than it is about the moment when you face a truth that taints everything you believed, a truth that leaves you handless and clinging to the underside of Cloud City. You hang there, desperate, crying out for salvation, and if you're lucky, someone heeds the call. podcast about Star Wars past, present, and future. Today, The Empire Strikes Back, finally. My name is Josh O'Rourke, and with me as always, the scruffy-looking nerf herder himself, Bennett Campbell-Ferguson. I got only one thing to say to you about that, Josh. Who's (laughs) scruffy-looking? Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You know, I was just thinking, like, this is a particularly special episode of Bespin Ice Cream Stand, you know, not only because we're getting to The, the Empire Strikes Back, which is uh, was pretty much, you know, as close to perfect as it gets as far as Star Wars goes, but also we're actually uh, getting to the movie with the Bespin Ice Cream Stand, finally. Finally, we can reveal our secrets at some yeah. point, because nobody listening knows about that. <laughs> I, I have to admit, though, like, I've never actually been able to spot the ice cream guy in Cloud City. I, I know he's there. I've been told by, you know, people who, you know, looked at the movie, you know, in much more fanatical detail than I have that he's there, but I've never actually seen him. Have you? No, I, I watched uh, the Blu-ray version yesterday and uh, I watched it with my girlfriend. So I just watched it straight through. But if I was alone, I would have rewound and done frame by frame by frame looking for him. But uh, no, I've never actually seen him, you know, in the wild <laughs> yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Most definitely. I mean, I think it goes without saying, but uh, we can still say that uh, this is a four out of four. It's it's a perfect movie. It's It's got everything going on. It's a perfect fantasy. It's got humor. It's got romance. It's got villain, intrigue, revenge being set up, redemption being set up. I mean, to me, it's, it's the one, and I don't think that's a hot take. Yeah, no, I mean... It reminds me of it the at the beginning of the pandemic. That was around the time the Rise of Skywalker came out on on DVD. And despite my my disenchantment with the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy, I wanted to have that experience of you know watching all nine films in, in chronological order just to see what that was like to go from the Phantom Menace to the Rise of Skywalker. And it was it was really great, you know, escapism. You know, those really you know dark days which where it was like oh what's happening to the world ah my life is ruined <laughs> you know <laughs> and i gotta say and i'm sure this will surprise no one the the movie where i i found myself you know the the most like you know 
excited and overwhelmed and engaged was uh, The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, I just fell completely under its spell. You know, there was no like, oh, I, I love this, but, you know, this part is a little rough. You know, like, oh, you know, I, I, I see this flaw, you know, after all these viewings, finally, like there was, there was none of that, you know, all I saw was just this, uh, this perfect movie, but not a movie that's, you know, perfect in a, a fussy way at all. I mean, it's a, it's alive, it's funny, it's terrifying, it's sexy, it's, you know, deeply moving. It's just such a, you know, burst of, you know, pure you know, cinematic exhilaration. I, I mean, you know, no one podcast or podcast episode could contain it all, but but to get to like express some empire love, you know, any day I get to do that is a good day. So four stars all the way. I uh, I wanted to look at a couple of reviews I was reading because I thought surely not everybody feels the way we do about it. Uh, and there's two of note, and um, I found this on StarWars.com. They sort of did a retrospective of some of the reviews. Um, and my favorite bit was from the June uh, June 1980 uh, in the New York Times. And Vincent, Vincent Canby writes, The Empire Strikes Back is not a truly terrible movie. It's a nice movie. It's not by any means as nice as Star Wars. It's not as fresh and funny and surprising and witty. But it is nice and inoffensive and in a way that no one associated with it need be ashamed of. It's also silly. The Empire Strikes Back is about as personal as a Christmas card from a bank. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I I heard that line before, you know, as personal as a Christmas card from a bank. And to me, like, I hear that and I'm like, my God, did he even watch the movie? I, I mean, for me, it sort of uh, rings of like that sort of classicist holier-than-thou film critic. I mean, everything I don't like about film criticism is sort of that. And I get, like, you can have your own opinion, but um, I feel like Empire is such, like, a joyful movie and so fantastical. How could you not love it? Yeah. So, yeah. It seems too academic in nature. And I'm, I'm not saying that he's entirely wrong about some points in, in his review. It's just it's easy to get headlines by shitting on something everybody loves. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, let's, let's take a look, for instance, at, you know, just the beginning of the movie, you know, there's so much we can get into, but just looking at how it starts, you know, we have the whole bit with the probe droid, you know, uh, being shot out of the star destroyer down to Hoth. We got Luke, you know, riding across, uh, the, you know, frozen expanse on his tauntaun, you know, little, uh, you know, cute chatter with Han, you know, sensors are placed. I'm going back. And then we get, What's wrong, girl? You smell something? And this big fucking wampa, you know, comes out of nowhere, mauls Luke's face, and, you know, he has this whole, you know, ordeal with being taken prisoner and escaping and nearly freezing to death. And then at the beginning of the, the Battle of Hoth, uh, Luke's uh, gunner, you know, Dax says, uh, you know, like, I feel, feel like I could take on the whole empire myself. And he sounds so dopey and cheery, you know, just kind of like how Luke sounded back in the first film. But, you know, Luke has changed already, like within the first few scenes of Empire, because he's no longer that innocent kid. He knows that he could have just randomly died unheroically in some stupid accident. And right from there, you know, the movie 
is kind of you know undoing the the very you know straightforward uh, good versus evil you know good always triumphs paradigm of the the first film and you know breaking it down into something more real and more true and something more painful and disturbing but also you know there's 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 beauty in that because i think this you know film captures a lot of uh, a lot of truths about you know what it's like to grow up and you know find you know your beliefs tested and i, I think that's part of why it's so powerful yeah I, I feel like the movie sort of sets up like this great continuation though like it, it feels like a sequel you want to see it seems like the characters are already like cooler and they're doing important things but they're still the same person but i will say i feel like the first like 15 minutes or so of the movie is a little clunky like really? I think they could have streamlined it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so I watched it trying. I mean, don't get me wrong. The movie's great and perfect and everything. But if I have one complaint, it's that I think they could have streamlined the first 10, 15 minutes because it's sort of like, here's the snow and now here's Han and Leia and here's the snow and here's Han and Leia. And, and I, I get they want to do the back and forth that Star Wars always does. But uh, I, I don't know. It seemed like they could have like finessed it just a little bit. I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like though it's part of a kind of classic Star Wars thing, you know, going going back to the first film and how they really linger on Tatooine, where you kind of start out a bit more leisurely and you you, you put all the players of in place, so when the action really starts to rip, you kind of have a, a solid uh, emotional foundation, and and I actually think it's pretty deft, you know, how they do it at the beginning, you know, like right from the get go, you know, starting with Luke and Han's friendship, you know, kind of, you know, building to the, you know, the tragic conclusion at the end of the movie of them, you know, being divided by a wall of carbonite and light years, so to speak. And then, you know, kind of, kind of weaving in all these things from, you know, R2 and 3PO to, you know, like Chewie being, sad that you know han's out there in the cold you know kind of foreshadowing for you know he's gonna lose han at the end of the film and and, and then you know really you know it's setting up this you know romance between han and leia which i think is is kind of building on some stuff that's probably hot happened off screen like i think this is supposed to be about three years since the first film and you know in that time we have to assume that you know han and leia's relationship has evolved from that saucy wink he gave her at the ceremony on you have him born. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, my problem isn't the scenes and the setup and the little moments. I love that. I think I would have liked to have seen it just slightly more streamlined. Luke gets hit by the Wampa. Then we go to Han and Leia. I, I don't know. It just, I, I can't quite explain it, but I think, I feel like they could have tightened up and like shaved off a minute or two of it. And, and the reason I say that is because from like the ATT, ATAT battle afterwards, the movie is just like great scene after great scene, set piece after set piece. But, uh, and, and this is strictly somebody who's watched the movie a million times. If I had never seen the movie, I, I don't think I would have felt that way. Well, it's, it's funny, though, because th there was some, like, scuffles in the editing room. Like, I know George Lucas went through and, and did a did a recut himself, and which I heard, you know, Irvin Kirshner and Paul Hirsch were very unhappy with that and kind of had to go back and sort of uh, unfix <laughs> elements of what 
Lucas had done. So. <laughs> I mean, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Having said that, though, I mean, the movie has a, such a great clip that it moves at. And, and I love the dialogue. It's so quippy, uh, which is something I said about, you know, A New Hope. But I, I think more so in Empire. I think it feels like a movie written by adults. There's like jokes happening and obviously there's like sexual tension and yeah, Han can be a little cringy, but also like that that's strictly through a 2021, you know, uh, filter. Not to say that, that it wasn't bad then, but I, I, I no, I, no, actually I, 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 I want to speak to that because I think that's a really interesting point because like I, I agree, you know, he says uh, there's definitely some lines that make you cringe like you know, Captain, being held by you is not quite enough to get me excited. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I haven't got time for anything else. <laughs> you know, but it, some of that's like necessary for his redemption too. Like the, the idea that he evolves from this kind of chauvinistic guy to, you know, the guy in Return of the Jedi who, you know, says, uh, you know, could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? And then kind of realizes he's being a dick and is like, I'm, I'm sorry. And, you know, just holds her in that really touching moment. I mean, it's, he's, it's, you know, it's another, it's one of the many great things about, you know, these, these movies though, that they really like form a complete piece, which is why I, I often say like the empire strikes back is my favorite, but in some ways that feels wrong. Cause I feel like it's, it's a part of a larger tapestry in the three films, you know, say something grander united than they could on their own. I think. I mean, I don't think you have to be like an empire apologist, by any means, I think most people think that Empire is the best, and and I think it all comes down to they expand the universe so well, and all the characters are living in that universe and illuminating it, and and it's such a bigger world than we were ever aware of, and it sort of pays off. Yeah, and also like the fact that it's a sequel when sequels almost always were cash grabs, other than maybe Godfather Part Two. I feel like everything else was just a crappy sequel so that they could actually deliver something that, that builds on the original so much is, is incredible. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, then imagine like if we lived in an alternate universe where, you know, the empire strikes back was basically like, you know, sorry, JJ Abrams, but the force awakens, you know, a, a <laughs> rehash of, you know, like everything that, people loved before and instead it's you know the the movie where actually a lot of the stuff we love about star wars is is born like i think you know we had a sense of wonderment about the force in the the first film i mean we all love you know use the force luke let's go <laughs> but it, it gets taken to a whole nother level you know with the luminous beings are we not this crude matter and just the the wonderment and the awe becomes that much greater just as uh you know darth vader arguably you know becomes a, a better villain as well and not simply because you know he's now the father of the hero but because he's a uh, no longer uh you know excuse my language uh grand moff tarkin's bitch you know, he's he's fully in command and just the 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 dark comedy of him basically executing everyone who defies him, which I mean, I would argue this is the funniest Star Wars movie in a, addition to being the, the most potent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, back to what you said earlier about Vader, though. Um couple things uh one i, I like that um the even in the opening crawl it sets up that uh 
Oh, I forgot how they word it. Uh, it says Vader is obsessed with finding young Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And I like the idea that it's beyond reason at this point that he's like, for some reason, he's really got to find this kid. So I think that's kind of fascinating because, you know, from Star Wars, you, you just assume it's because he's the bad guy or whatever. So obviously it's cooler that they set up this larger world. But uh, the other thing I thought was interesting um, was an uh, interview with James Earl Jones I was reading um, earlier. And uh, James Earl Jones says he wanted to explore the character more. And George Lucas squashed the idea right away. He <laughs> says, quote, I remember on Empire when George had the chance to counsel me, he said, we don't know what we did right on A New Hope, so let's just try what we did. Naturally, I wanted to make Darth Vader more interesting, more subtle, more psychologically oriented. And he said, no, no. What we're finding out is you've got to keep his voice on a very narrow band of inflection because he ain't human, really. So that was the answer. I love that. And I actually feel like the, the idea of, of keeping him less human you know, better sets it up for the moment when he fi we find out he's he's very very human. If we make him as as monstrous as possible, it, it makes it you know all the more potent when he says "I'm your father." And then also in Return of the Jedi, when the when when the mask comes off, and also I think all this stuff actually makes a new hope better because we now know that you know when he said uh, you know the Force is strong with this one, he wasn't just sensing another Jedi; he was sensing his son so it mm -hmm. just brings this whole another weight to it i mean talk about dramatic irony yeah no i mean it, it, this movie is what makes darth vader so fascinating that's not true return of the jedi really does it but it but it really sets him up to be this interesting character where you don't quite know his motivation yet my early question i had is um and, and i know everybody on the internet talks about this to death but um do you think that George Lucas knew that Luke and Leia were related uh, in Empire since they have that kiss? Yeah, I, I thought I don't I don't know this for sure. My understanding from you know things I'm heard is that the consensus is that he he didn't, but it it doesn't it doesn't bother me really. I mean, I I like the idea that. I'm actually okay with you know Luke seeing Leia as a you know as a love interest in the first two films and then you know realizing she's his twin and in Jedi because I I just think it's kind of a cool illustration of you know in all of our lives you know there are some you know people you fall in love with and there are some people who you just you know kind of accept them as a as a person as an ally you know with no like romantic agenda I just think it's like a kind of a cool way to to illustrate that that journey and and to be honest you know of course in retrospect the kiss and empire super gross but you know i'm, I'm kind of okay with it being super gross you know oh, ben, ben is a kissing cousin confirmed <laughs> that is a weird take <laughs> um <laughs> but what do you think josh i i think it, i i wish george lucas had it figured out earlier because <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think the scene in the context of just Empire is great, and it's funny. I love how Luke sort of leans back, like, "Oh, this is the life." <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, yeah, yeah. Looking at it uh, out of a vacuum, it's it's a little weird. It is weird. Although I, I will say, though, I mean, incest is you know such a big part of mythology, and you know, 
So maybe maybe unconsciously in this case, you know, George was <laughs> kind of you know, <laughs> going going back to the the source. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, maybe Game of Thrones is the most famous example of that. But Game of Thrones is just you know drawing from you know so much of that. But it's but yeah, I mean, he didn't he didn't have it figured out. I don't I don't think he had to have everything figured out. I mean, I think it's more interesting if. I, well, I no. Let me let me back up. I think I think Star Wars ultimately is more interesting if Luke and Leia are, are brother and sister, as opposed to like oh you know they're just fellow members of the the rebellion. I mean I think I think it ultimately deepens the saga. You know even if he didn't have his ducks in a row. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. But I I, I don't want to give George Lucas that much credit, <laughs> even subconsciously. Let the record show no credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is probably the time to bring up that of the of the first six Star Wars films that were made, this was the one he was arguably the least involved in. And, you know, it's, it's surely not a stretch to imagine that that's why it's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I, I don't want to go down into the, the I, I don't want the narrative to be less George Lucas means better Star or yeah, better Star Wars movie. But yeah. I, I do think he set something up really cool, and they could have really bungled it, and they didn't. It could have easily been Luke, Leia, and Han go to the beach, the movie, or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they they really pushed the universe, um, and I really appreciate that. I wanna I wanna talk about this whole you know Luke Han Leia thing from a a slightly different angle because I, I think a more conventional storyteller would have not only said that you know Luke and Leia are not brother and sister but but that they have to be a couple because of course you know you have to have your protagonist get together with the the leading lady and and instead you know what George Lucas says no my main character is is going to have a a journey that has nothing to do with romance at all it's going to be about him reckoning with his his legacy and the evil within himself and uh, you know, trying to redeem his father, and actually, the the secondary main character is going to be the one who falls in love, Han, and then that sets up a, a whole another drama w- with Han, you know, being this kind of embodiment of toxic masculinity that you know slowly, bit by bit, gets a uh, broken down where he's you know he's no he's there's no trace of the smuggler left in return of the jedi he's a you know a straight up soldier fighting for a fighting for a, a cause so i think uh i mean you know there's so there's so many things that you know are now now seem obvious that i think probably were not at the the time these were being made yeah, I mean, one one other thing too is i i think a lot of people um especially nowadays um, are sort of shippers and they sort of uh, have these imaginary romances. And I think it's um, to the detriment of a lot of stories. I mean, I saw in Harry Potter, you know, book four, everyone was talking about Harry and Hermione getting together or whatever. And they created divisions. And I thought that really took away from the story because maybe a bad example, but, but uh, I, I feel like most stories that transcend uh, time are not, just about having relationships there's so much more to it that can be part of it and it's great but um well i i think you're absolutely right and i think that there's a mistake that a lot of you know filmmakers make in in terms of 
you know, making things too romance centric and, you know, having that be the be all and end all. And I mean, you know, to, uh, you know, allude to our other, uh, a podcast that deals with the, one of the, the great trilogies in movie history, Spidey scenes. I mean, romance is so central to those movies. And yet, you know, I mean, it's the reason why, you know, Peter Parker, you know, puts on a costume and gets in the ring and yet, you know, real life intrudes in the form of, you know, uncle Ben's death and, you know, Peter's role in that. And, th and that makes it so much more interesting, you know, brings this other dimension. And I, I honestly, you know, I, I think star Wars is a bit like that as well. And I like that because, you know, e even someone, you know, who's, who's very much, you know, like focused on, you know, romance the way I am and, you know, you know searching for you know the you know uh, searching searching for someone basically like it's just like your your life can't you know revolve around that like that would be just such a, a narrow existence and i think a lot of filmmakers act like life uh life does revolve around that i mean like i i like uh, i like a lot of romantic comedies but i think one thing that is you know problematic about that that genre is is sometimes they're so focused on a, a single aspect of you know of being a person and that that you know is ultimately constraining artistically and it's constraining emotionally but also it's a lot of the times what people want i feel like i i always i don't always talk about this but people have like needs from entertainment and a lot of people only want to reaffirm a certain belief or something and to have a normal heterosexual relationship being the primary target or motivation of a character uh, that resonates with them. And, and that's yes. clear from all the Hallmark and Lifetime movies and also most movies that have been made. That sort of becomes what it's all about. Totally. So good on Empire for not doing it as much. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also I I want to you know speak to that a little bit more because I think that there's a difference between what audiences think they need and what they actually need. I mean, if you asked audiences what they needed from a Star Wars sequel in 1977, I think they probably said, you know, I want another movie that ends up with Luke uh, blowing up a, a giant spherical super weapon and everybody gets a medal, you know, and, and hopefully Chewie gets a medal this time, <laughs> or, or maybe people didn't care about that back in the seventies. I, I don't know. Maybe that's more of a, you know, a, a you know, a, a, a post 2000, you know, kind of fan obsession, but, but then I, but people, what people actually needed was a, a movie that was gonna, you know, question a lot of things about the, the, the first film that was gonna, you know, you know, question the fact that Luke's, you know, decision to join the rebellion is, is also, you know, driven kind of by a desire to, for revenge to question his sort of blind faith in the, in Obi-Wan, because that wizard sort of was a crazy old man because he told him this, you know, crazy lie that he betrayed and murdered your father, you know, from a certain point of view, <laughs> which, oh yeah. I mean, I, I love the certain point of view thing, which that's just, it's so good. I do love Luke. Luke's face is kind of like, huh? <laughs> but no, it, uh, what you're saying is true. Everybody wanted uh, The Force Awakens as the sequel, for instance. Yeah. And and they went away from that and made something different, but not so different as to pull a Ryan Johnson. Come at me. 
bespinicecreampod at gmail.com. That's the hate mail. Um, what, what I mean to say is is that J.J. Abrams played it way too safe. Ryan Johnson played it way too differently. And maybe somewhere in the middle is the sweet spot. And that's sort of maybe where Empire lives. Well, I think, too, like a lot of it is a, is a matter of of execution. You know, I mean, both the like both both the Empire Strikes Back and uh, the Last Jedi do just I think extraordinarily bold things uh, with the Star Wars mythos in terms of trying to take them in, in new directions. And I feel like the, the problem with the Last Jedi is less that it made bad choices and more that it it didn't execute them with uh, a lot of finesse like and I'll, I'll just go off on my uh you know kind of my my, my patented han solo poe dameron tangent here for a second give, give us a, a nice short version so we can save some for uh last jedi i will yeah so like okay so the poe's arc in the last jedi is that you know basically he learns how to be a a, a team player and that arc is tied up with a neat little bow where leia you know says of you know holdo you know she was more interested in protecting the light than being a hero hint hint and poe kind of nods like ah i get it you know <laughs> whereas uh, you know you go to um the empire strikes back you know han's arc is basically you know fully renouncing his life as a, a smuggler and becoming you know fully selfless and committed to leia and the rebellion but but han you know doesn't you know, get to, you know, ride off into the sunset on the Millennium Falcon, you know, he gets uh, shut in a, you know, block of carbonite and taken away by Boba Fett as a reward for, you know, his uh, his new uh, uh, understanding of, you know, what kind of hero he needs to be. So I love it. It's like, it's kind of true to the messiness of life. You know, you don't like automatically learn something and then everything's okay. Like, like sometimes you have you, you're uh your, your big, you know, revelatory moment and, you know, Darth Vader, you know, sticks you in the carbon freezing chamber and, you know, that's, that's life. Life is, you know, messy. It's not a series of uh, tidy lessons. It's a, it's a zigzag. And, and yes, that's kind of sad, but it's also, you know, it's also true. And it's, it's kind of beautiful ultimately because Han, you know, comes back from that, you know, better and stronger in Return of the Jedi. I think you have a first t-shirt. Sometimes life throws you into the carbon chamber. <laughs> it does. It does. You know, as uh, <laughs> and, and and as as fans of the the Mandalorian know too. You know, sometimes uh, you know life just freezes a whole crowd of people in, in blocks of carbonite because you know, <laughs> apparently post Return of the Jedi, that's that's now not just like a random thing. That's just like standard bounty hunting uh practice it's great technology you gotta use it it is you, you can't argue with it you really can't <laughs> i think we gotta talk yoda now yes please i love how they set yoda up i haven't watched empire in a few years now weirdly enough and i love how they set yoda up as like a little bit crazy like looking through luke's stuff you're like why is he messing with his flashlight uh i love that he's sort of a slow playing luke like Obi-Wan sort of kind of does in A New Hope, where he's like, oh, yes, I know this Yoda character. Uh, and then I also like that Yoda isn't likable at first. Yes. Because uh, I, I don't remember, like you talked about in your memory, it, it's hard to remember a time when you didn't 
feel a certain way or know a certain thing about the movies. And I don't remember ever disliking Yoda, you know? So to see him uh, with fresh eyes, it's kind of cool to show that, like, Yoda's sort of this old hermit, and he isn't super likable at first. It's so true. I mean, you you look back at the prequels, and, and Yoda seems so, like, placid and lifeless by comparison to this, like, weird, you know, crotchety, mischievous, a kind of, you know, destructive creature who we meet in Empire. And I love uh, the, uh, the I, I love the way, you know, he's he tests Luke by, you know, pretending to be crazy. And, and I love how, you know, Luke, Luke treats him with them, um, uh, uh, you know, such uh, condescension, you know, like, uh, like, I don't want a friend, I'm looking for a Jedi master. And he fails the first test just so spectacularly, like on on every level. You know, I don't even know what I'm doing here. We're wasting our time. <laughs> you know, and, and and you gotta you know that you know Yoda like is just thinking this this asshole. Like you know, this is our hope. This is our hope for taking down uh you know Vader and and Palpatine. This you know this whiny jerk and. And, and I love, uh, I love you know, that moment where Luke realizes, you know, you're Yoda and is forced to kind of, you know, look at his own folly and his own arrogance that he just uh, dismissed this seemingly crazy creature. It's just, it's just such a, you know, a beautiful and, and funny and warped sequence of uh, uh, events and the idea of like kind of the, the fool being the, the smartest person of, in the room, because of course Yoda is not a fool at all. <laughs> not at all. What did you think in the scene where like Luke faces Vader slash himself? Uh, Yoda says this place is strong with the dark side. What does he mean by that? Okay, well, so th- they actually explain this in the the Thrawn trilogy, which is, of course is no longer canon. But uh, apparently, Yoda had some battle with a, a dark Jedi. I, I think. I can't remember if uh, they they talk about this in Heir to the Empire or uh, maybe it was Dark Force Rising. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've you know looked at any book in the Thrawn trilogy, but that 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 was the, I mean that was the explanation there. I mean as far as in movie explanation, I I assume it it just means that this is like you know some kind of I guess the you know sorry to use Phantom Menace terminology, but some kind of vergence in the Force, like like the dark side of the Force, has sort of coalesced, you know, particularly strongly in in this cave, or or even you know looking ahead to the Mandalorian, you know maybe it's it's kind of like the the mountain top where uh, Din Djarin sets Grogu, and Grogu has his like weird you know psychedelic you know whole like experience with all the light flashing and whatnot i mean i I assume it's it's kind of like that but i mean the only what really matters is that yoda is uh is sending him there to to test him to test you know how effectively he can resist the dark side and the great thing is luke fails the test the the minute he you know pulls on his belt with the the weapons i mean your your weapons you will not need them and you know luke just uh looks at him like ah, i don't fucking believe you <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> right he fails right then and, and there and that's that's why it's such a tragic scene i think um i really like what yoda says too about the dark side 
The dark side, it's not stronger, but easier, more seductive. I thought yes. that was really cool to address that because I think there's sort of that misconception that the dark side is stronger and, and, and maybe it is initially, but I think that's like a really cool explanation, really cool explanation of, of why people would choose that, go down that path. Yeah. It's such a resonant explanation too. I mean, you could, uh, I mean, you, you could apply that to, you know, so many evils and in, in, in history, you know, from, you know, Hitler to Donald Trump, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, quicker, you know, easier and, you know, more seductive, like, I mean, that, that kind of, you know, sums up like, like populism slash nativism, I think. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I read that Deep Roy was inside the Yoda suit for uh, some second unit shooting. You're kidding! I think that was that was the coolest trivia I've ever seen. I saw uh, like some signed photographs, and he's got the Yoda suit on, and he just takes the you know the Yoda hat or the Yoda head off, and it's like, That's oh so my cool. god! So just a couple shots where Yoda's sitting or is standing, you know, without being a puppet. But I thought, wow, Deep Roy is old. <laughs> That's I had no idea that. I mean, I always. I mean, I think the first first I heard of him was when he was doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So I always think of him as like a a newerish guy. Although I guess that was years and years ago. But yeah, but no, no, of... definitely that was his uh, that was his big uh, turning point since you saw his face so many times. That's so cool, man. the the we, The puppetry too in this movie is just so extraordinary. I mean, you know, certainly it's like stiffer than it would have been if if Yoda was CGI, but, but looking back at it now, it's, it's so, it's so real. And and you really feel like Mark Hamill is, is talking to a, a real living being, just like the, the detail, like, you know, the, the wrinkled skin, the, the hair coming out of his ears, his, his, his teeth, his, his eyes. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such good stuff. Yeah, no, it's super good. I mean, I, I uh, love the behind the scenes footage where you see Frank Oz as Yoda, sort of doing the Yoda voice on stage. And you're like, I, I could see why like Mark Hamill would think he's talking to someone real, or at least why he, uh, I think it'd be easier to pretend being on that really cool set and, and sort of embodying uh, such a crazy character. I remember seeing like a, a, a picture too, like of where, like inside Yoda's hut, it looks like there was like some kind of like false floor. I guess so, like, Frank Oz could, like, get down there and, you know, move Yoda. Yeah, around. yeah, yeah. That's my memory as well, is that it, it, there's, like, the floor is, like, maybe four feet above the actual ground. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Yoda's the best. I, I I love how they set him up. I love how, um, I, I love his humor, his, everything he says. He's just dropping wisdom. Every line is, like, pretty cool you learn about the force you learn about so much but anyway uh i'm rambling about that but i was gonna bring up um is the uh the fucking ice spiders from mandalorian and the um inspiration for them uh and my buddy before i watched that episode was like hey uh google dagobah tree spiders and i'm thinking what (laughs) and and if you haven't done it yet please do but it's so terrifying and uh, I'll leave it at that other than to say I'm really pleased that Dagobah didn't have spiders because that would have really made it uh, the most menacing planet of all time. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I really like kind of the simplicity of Dagobah. And I, I like how, and, and of course this was often the case with the original films, I assume just because of the limits of the technology, but I, I like how there's not even really like a, a big, you know, you know, kind of, uh, you know, initial shot when Luke first sees the planet. I like that, you know, there's just the chaos of, you know, him, you know, descending through the mist and he can't see where he's going. And then he, you know, sploosh, he lands in the swamp. And only after that do we start to get a sense of what the, what the planet looks like. And I just, I think that's really powerful. I also want to, you know, uh, you, uh, you, you, you dropped a hot take earlier, Josh. I, I want to drop one. Uh, Yoda's, uh, Yoda's luminous being sp speech is even cooler than Yoda lifting the X-Wing out of the swamp. <laughs> oh, completely. So good. So good. That's like something I want to, uh, like on a, I want to go to a church and see that on the wall. Yes, yes. Like that is some religious shit. I, I love it. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. See, oh, you got the voice. That's good. <laughs> oh, and now my voice is gone. That was one of the, uh, one of the lines. I, I came prepared. I knew you wanted to do a voice. That was that was one of the lines that that really stuck out to me. This viewing. It's such a great line. It's it's such a great scene. Like just seeing you know Luca, uh, you know, it's sitting down, you know, panting. I I can't do it. It's too big. And uh, you know, and you know, size matters not. Look at me. You know, judge me by my size. Do you? And and just like all the little details, like like Yoda kind of you know pinching <laughs> Mark Hamill's you know exposed <laughs> arm, and just this uh this really you know crotchety jedi master who seems so you know cynical and and slippery and manipulative and and it's him at his most you know sincere and vulnerable like expressing you know just absolute faith in people in the universe saying that we're we're more than than what we're we're, we're made of we're, we're something beyond flesh and it's like i i, I I get choked up, like even just, you know, talking about it or thinking about it, you know, let alone actually watching it, you know? No, I, I love that shit because it reinforces to me why Star Wars can be so important. I have friends that are Trekkies and I'm not saying you can't be both because I know you enjoy Star Trek a little more than me, but, uh, I, I think that Star Wars means a lot and it's not just cause it's a dumb action movie. And I think stuff like, uh, the Yoda scenes kind of, reinforce why star wars means so much more to us than just any old action movie yeah yeah well i i want to use this opportunity to, to briefly tell a, a story about a, a conversation i had with my my mom you know it was it was after i'd you know been into to star trek for a while and i, I got into star trek a long time after i first got into star wars and you know i, I was and still am you know really into uh trek and I, I think I, I'd like gone off on some Star Trek tangent and my my mom was like, wow, you know, do you do you like Star Trek better than Star Wars? And I was like, well, I don't think so. And, you know, I, I, I said something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't think like Star Trek will ever, you know, have anything as wondrous to me as, a, you know, Luke flying through the, the Death Star Trench and, you know, hearing, you know, Obi-Wan calling out, you know, use the force, Luke, let go. And then that, you know, beautiful perspective, you know, shot of the, you know, the, the walls of the trench rush, rushing by and hearing, da, 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 da. it's just like, you get, you know, moments like that that are so, you know, you know beautiful and chilling and, and wondrous, like just, you know, 
Star Wars, I think, ultimately casts a, a spell that, for me, you know, few films can can beat. And that, you know, as much as I love Star Trek, I, I think I love it in a you know in a, a different way and a, a different level, and, and probably not quite as uh, in, intensely. Star Wars does something like spiritual, if, if we're going to get into the weeds of it all, uh, where they they create something that that speaks to you as like a human being. Yes. Um, and I won't tell that story right now. There's something really powerful about the, I guess the, the simplicity of like the way faith is, is depicted in, in Star Wars. Like it's, it's something that I think, you know, can, can speak to anyone. You can, from, you know, a complete atheist to someone who's, who's totally religious. I mean, just Star Wars professes, you know, just the very basic idea that there's, there's something more to life than what we can see in front of uh, our faces. And there's, there's something, you know, just like really moving about that. And I don't think any character, you know, sums that up as, as, as well as, as Yoda. I mean, I feel like that, you know, moment in Empire, that's just the most like truthful, you know, you know, best articulation of it. You must, you must feel the force. I mean, at, at that point, you know, it's kind of like, like that's all you need to know. Like you almost don't even need to see any more of the force. Although of course we do and we see some really cool stuff, but it's like, that's, that's, that's peak force. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> also the name of a CrossFit gym. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Moving on from Yoda. Let's talk about Boba fucking Fett. Oh, dude. <laughs> he came on screen, and in my notes I wrote, Boba fucking Fett. Uh, first thing off the top, uh, I hate that they changed his voice for the special edition on the Blu-ray. It's completely unnecessary. It's a disservice to Jeremy Bullock. And uh, that is such an awful, stupid, small tweak to be mad about. But it, it's the worst change in the Empire Strikes Back special edition. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I want to, well, actually, I, I want to talk about what I think is the, the worst change in, in a bit, but, but let's, let's stay on Boba Fett for a second. The, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the guy who did uh, Boba's voice in the, in the original version of the film, I think it was a guy named like Jason Wingreen or something. Damn it. I, I didn't know that. Okay. Then I, I retract the entire statement. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, cause the whole, the whole change thing is uh you know i i get it because like if you know if, if boba fett is really supposed to be a, a clone of Django, then of course he should sound like tamira morrison but it, it, at the same time it's it's one of those things it's like well you know the the original trilogy was better when it just stood alone as its own thing and you know didn't have to you know have a uh, tamira morrison or hayden christensen you know <laughs> shoehorned in there yeah I remembered. I remembered my least favorite special edition moment is uh, changing the emperor in the hologram. It's now uh, Ian McDermott. That and, was going to be I'm mine. I'm so sorry. We were talking about Boba Fett, but I got to bring this up. He's so much more menacing in the original. Uh, I forget the actor's name. I'm sure you know it. Oh, is well, good. It was. I don't know who who was the body of the emperor. I think it might be like unknown, but I know it was Clive Revel's voice. Oh, okay, okay. So here, okay. Here's my problem with that scene. Uh, you know, they want to put Ian McDermott in there 
fine. You know, I, I, I get it. You know, it's, it's more consistent. The real problem is that Ian McDermott's makeup in Return of the Jedi and Ian McDermott's makeup in Revenge of the Sith were very, very different. And in fact, his makeup looked a lot better in Jedi. It looked a lot more natural. And yeah, in Revenge of the Sith, it was very like eyeshadowy. And it's so obvious, you know, Lee, you know, Ian McDermott from Revenge of the Sith. It's so obvious that, you know, George was like, oh, hey, Ian, I want to, you know, make this change on the DVD. So maybe you could stick around, you know, after uh, we finish shooting today's scene and you're just we can do that really quick and it's like it's like george could you not at least have like digitally like wrinkled him see my my issue my issue is they should have made him more mysterious make his cloak and make the darkness a little more prominent and so that you don't exactly see him so just like job of the hut you're like who is this mysterious figure yeah instead of just seeing here he is and he looks stupid well okay okay here's how about this and tell tell me if you think this is a brilliant idea or a batshit idea. What what if he was like like hologram Darth Sidious in the Phantom Menace with like the the hood over his eyes and whatnot? No, exactly. That's exactly what I want to see. Okay, cool. I, I think I think that anything you can imagine is far scarier than showing a person's face with some wrinkles. Yeah, because it's just an ugly dude, and you're like, okay, I hope I don't see him again. Yeah, yeah. So some of the some of the dialogue too that they added for this you know new version on the the DVDs I, I think is a bit weird too like we have a new enemy the young rebel who destroyed the Death Star and it's like okay it's been years since the Battle of Yavin you know surely they've um uh, they they've you know talked about this in the interim you know surely they've you know hung out and had a beer or whatever you know whatever you know master and apprentice do <laughs> I mean. It, it should have been like, you know, something more like, you know, Lord Vader, I've come to check on the progress of your search for Skywalker. I will find him, my master. <sighs> you know, like, <laughs> it should have, there should have been an understanding that they'd like had this conversation before and it was more like, you know, I'm checking in to you know, make sure you get the job done, not like giving you this information that I've known you had, you know, for yeah. like three years. To me, it reminds me of the scene in Spaceballs where Dark Helmet is talking uh, and there's all this exposition, this exposition, exposition. And then Dark Helmet turns to the camera and says, did you all get that? <laughs> and it's like that. That's how it felt to me it, the same way. It's like, here's some more exposition just yeah. in case you don't remember. And yeah, completely unnecessary. And it really bogs down uh, that scene. It's frustrating. It's a. Uh... It's it's irritating. It's it's not it's not Greedo shooting first, but it's it's definitely an annoyance. <laughs> definitely, uh, but Boba fucking fat, dude. <laughs> bum bum bum. The scene's like six seconds long, and uh, I I love it. I love it. I love seeing Bosk and IG eighty eight and yeah. Dengar. Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> is that who it is, Dingar? <laughs> the one who looks like they're like, oh shit, we need one more. Quick, grab some toilet paper, put it on his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 Dengar, Dengar, that's Dengar. Okay, right? good, good, good. I still got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, thing I love about that pet scene is that you know, like Admiral Piet is so pissed off that you know, like 
Vader is, you know, hiring these bounty hunters because the Empire couldn't get the job done. You know, bounty hunters, we don't need this scum. And I love that, you know, like Bosk looks down at, uh, um, you know, the officers and just like says something like incomprehensible and creepy, like, <laughs> it's just like such a great moment like like i love the idea of you know like darth vader you know bringing in this motley crew like that is just terrifying the shit out of these you know kind of buttoned up uh you know space nazis <laughs> it's just it's just fun you know yeah no absolutely i i also love that darth vader really becomes like a corporate manager in this one and every time anyone does anything wrong, they're going to get their ass choked out, even if yeah. it's over a, over a, a TV screen, which I thought that was nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Admiral Ozzel, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Good. Get ready. <laughs> Just there's so many great you know moments in that whole uh, sequence, like, you know, like, uh, the rebels are alerted to our presence. Admiral Ozil came out of hyperspace too close to the system. He felt surprised was wiser. <laughs> like, like General Ears is like, <laughs> oh, I know he's, you know, he's dead. Like, I'm going to try to make a last, you know, ditch effort to, you know, cover for Ozil. But, you know, Vader's just like, <laughs> he was as clumsy as he is stupid. And Veers is like, oh, I, I give up. Like, let him just, you know, freaking kill Ozil. You know? Yeah, I know you can TV choke people now. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, can we talk about the, the the brilliant symmetry of the first time you see Darth Vader? He's, you know, standing at the window looking out into space. And the, the last time we see him, he's doing the exact same thing. Like, this movie has such a great, you know, rhythm with, you know, like, visual repetition. You know, even, like, the, the Falcon's hyperdrive failing is kind of like that. These kind of, you know, repeated images and sounds that just, like, you know, bring a sense of, you know, cohesion to the whole thing. It's, it's such beautiful storytelling. Yeah, I, I love that there's like motifs throughout it all. Um, also, I love the Imperial March theme. Uh, this is yes. the first time you hear it, right? Yes, yeah, the first time, yeah. Because I heard it, I was like, wait a minute, that wasn't in Star Wars, was it? Oh my God. Yeah. I forget that everything that people remember about an iconic series is usually in the second movie. Yeah. It's That's true. my sweeping declaration, but but I'm gonna <laughs> hold hold to it. Well, I think that's often the case, and you'll remember, you know, in, in the first film, they they kind of had that like like sort of lame fan for for the Imperials. It was just like dun dun dun, and then like <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. You know, it's it's full out of the gate. You know, like this big giant fleet of Star Destroyers, and bum bum bada dum bada dum bum. bum it's like oh we mean business now you know now we're cooking with gas <laughs> yeah no and i love that that shit is just rolling and also throughout the whole movie it sort of reappears you know like oh the bad guys are back yes yeah yeah oh it's so good it's so good <laughs> <laughs> It's time for this episode's monologue to uh, do a little bit about the ending of the movie because I I think the ending is kind of a bit of unheralded genius that just uh, really, you know, speaks to a lot of what I love about the film. So, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, R2-D2, and C-3PO watch from the void as the Millennium Falcon soars toward the galaxy far, far away. 
carrying their hopes for reuniting with Han Solo. It's a bittersweet moment, but it is not a time for tears. It is a time to celebrate the fact that the final image we see before directed by Irvin Kirshner fills the screen will be the Rebel fleet, battered but whole. The last scene of The Empire Strikes Back may not be as epic as an Ewok dance party, but it remains a standout Star Wars ending. There are no gold medals, there is no broom boy, and there is no boss Nass hoisting a chintzy-looking ball of purple light to the heavens. There is only a man, a woman, two droids, and their shared dreams of a better tomorrow. Those dreams are worth more than a million displays of panoply on Yavin 4. Life is rarely Han winking cheekily at Leia as she honors him for his last-ditch service to the Rebellion. More often, it is Leia staring out at the cosmos, wondering if I know will be the last word spoken by the man she loves. Endurance, not victory, is the soul of The Empire Strikes Back. You can call that depressing, but I don't. I call it honest, and I call it beautiful. So much has been torn from the Skywalkers by the end of Empire. The Hoth stronghold that sheltered them, the steadfast friend who defended them, and the sense of innocence that strengthened them. Yet there they are, gazing out at the galaxy, still asking what wonders it may hold. I'm glad you talked about the ending, because I had so much to say about it. Good, good. I wanna I wanna hear hear your thoughts, because there's this I mean there's there's so much to unpack. I did not even, you know, come close to <laughs> Um, I think it's really bold to end a movie where the heroes are at their lowest possible point. I think it's crazy that Han is frozen, Luke is defeated, he would rather choose suicide than join the dark side, uh, the rebels are fleeing, and and there's so much that's just unresolved. Like, how cool that they went with it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so cool as well, and I, I think there's something so you know beautiful that last shot which is just the the rebel fleet you know kind of moving onward you know th this idea of like i mean the our heroes have uh you know suffered so much during this movie you know lost so much you know dealt with so much you know torture and heartbreak and uh at the end it's not like everything falls apart you know the revolution continues you know there's still a, a war to fight you know the rebellion basically says yeah yeah we had uh we've suffered losses but you know what the empire is still out there and we we have to keep going and just you know the act of like seeing you know this movement still intact like there's something really really moving about that i mean it Frankly, I think it's a better ending than the first film, and I love that ending as well. I mean, you know. Yeah, but 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 I think A New Hope does the thing that a lot of classic mythology and just classic stories do, which is sort of end with the wedding scene. I know it's not a wedding, but it's sort of the same idea. Oh, of course, The celebratory, course, yeah. you know, everybody clapping for you kind of scene, and then you're out. It, it's, it's so true. I think that's a really great way of... Uh, of putting it and i also like in empire i think it's kind of significant that you know this whole story has been set in a galaxy far far away and we see them at at the end of the movie you know outside the the galaxy you know basically kind of somewhere in the the void and the millennium falcon is basically soaring you know back into the midst of the war and and there's something kind of poignant about like you know getting a sort of a bird's eye view of the entire, you know, galaxy where all this conflict has been happening and, you know, stepping back to this, you know, place of, 
serenity. You know, the, the, the characters have been, you know, running for their lives, you know, the for the whole movie. And now they, they kind of, you know, come to come to rest. And it's 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 really it, it's it's really striking. It's and then just I mean, you know, Leia and Luke, like, you know, standing at the, the airlock with R2 and 3PO, you know, looking out into the distance. I mean, it's just so beautiful. So good. Yeah, it's such a fitting ending. Um, we didn't talk about the Darth Vader Luke battle very much, and I, I know I kind of, I kind of either don't want to or don't want to talk about it too much because I think that's like what everyone focuses on so much. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking like it's a testament to like how good uh, this this movie is that we've you, we've talked about everything except for arguably the best thing in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think we could go on and on about how great I know is and, and yes. people uh, freaking out. I will I will say, since it's part of your memory in the beginning, um, I do think it's kind of interesting um, doing a little research, um, reading about people's firsthand, experiencing, firsthand experience watching Empire Strikes Back in the theater and the revolution, the revelation of Darth Vader saying, I am your father. Um, like how, how did that actually feel? Because I agree. I don't know if there was a time where I didn't know that. I feel like I knew the line, I am your father before I even watched the star Wars trilogy. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Um, um but, uh, I thought it was really interesting as, uh, you know, sifting through different accounts of people talking about it. They said that the, I am your father spoiler didn't spread as fast as well, as now with the internet where everybody knows something before a movie comes out so that months after a movie's release, some of the kids on the playground still didn't know. And that, that I thought was kind of cool. Cause I, I think nowadays, even in the nineties, it was such a ubiquitous thing, but back then, yeah, it, it was known by people who saw the movie and talked about it, but it wasn't, uh, ubiquitous. Do you have any sense of like how how people took that revelation back then? Like, do, do you think they thought yeah. that you know, oh, you know, Vader's just messing with him, or did they did did they take it? Did they take Vader at his word? Did they go like, oh my God, you know, he really is Luke's father? My understanding, uh, the the few people that mention it uh, say they thought Vader was lying. Wow. Even James Earl Jones, when he first saw the dialogue, uh, he said to himself, and I'm quoting him here. Uh, he's lying. I wonder how they're going to play that lie out. <laughs> so I think I think a lot of people thought Darth Vader is a bad guy. Of course he's lying. So um, not until in Return of the Jedi, like you talked about in the memory, is it confirmed, oh, Darth Vader is Luke's father. So yeah. I, I think at the time it wasn't, you know, I see dead people. I think it, it was it, something different than that. That's so interesting because to me, like if you have him be lying – you kind of undo like frankly the the soul of the the entire series you know i mean like i mean that's why it works though i think is that that sure. there's people had that doubt but it's like the the payoff of him being the father is is so much larger than him just lying for some reason you think about it like if if he wasn't luke's father like what would luke do in return of the jedi like you know blow up another Death Star. I mean, that's just that'd be just so boring. It's you know, it's so if 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 Vader's not his father, we don't we don't get that whole like throne room sequence, or we don't 
at least get that with the same level of dramatic heft where, you know, Luke has, you know, something to, to, to fight for, for, you know, you can bring yourself to destroy me then. And I don't believe you will now. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. so, it's so funny to think that, you know, but, but then again, like, you know, it's a, I think like you're saying, it's a testament to how powerful that revelation was that, you know, probably, you know, some people couldn't accept it. And I'm sure like, had you and I like gotten to have that like very pure experience of just hearing it in the theater, we probably would have been, you know, speculating for three years, like all kinds of theories, like, well, yeah. it means this or, you know, <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. There would have been like books analyzing it in the, in, in the interim for oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it great too, that uh, we see the back of like Darth Vader's bald head, you know, before we get that revelation. So we already like set up the idea that there is a human being under that, that armor. It's just, it's just also perfectly calibrated. Yeah. I love the scene. I love, I love how the officer is sort of pretending like he didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> he looks off like, Oh, I was uh, looking at the wall. Well, the, I still say that the, the cloud city duels, the best lightsaber duel in all of star Wars, way better in my opinion, in that Phantom Menace duel, because I just love, you know, how it's, it's like a horror movie. You know, I love like the idea of like Vader reappearing and disappearing, this kind of unseen evil lurking in the maze of uh, Cloud City. It's, it's really poetic and, and scary. Just, you know, Luke, you know, walking down these like creepy corridors and you never know like where, you know, Vader's going to come from. He seems to like appear from nowhere. You know, it's just, it's such great action filmmaking. Oh, you're right. And not only that, but like when it starts, Vader is just one hand fighting. Like obviously Darth Vader is a way better fighter and he's just sort of toying with Luke in the beginning. Yeah. I think that's that's really cool. And then when Luke when when Vader realizes Luke actually has some lightsaber skills, then it's an actual, you know, choreographed battle. And I think that's really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that, you know, at the sort of the end of the fight when he's got coming after him on the catwalk and like Vader is just hammering at them and just there's this sense of like you know like okay kid you know i'm not you know fucking around anymore you know i let you get away with some stuff because i was testing you but now you know i'm gonna cut off your hand if that, that's what it takes <laughs> on you know yep yep i i also i just i just have to say too like i love um the cut from the millennium falcon escaping cloud city to uh you know luke you know kind of uh uh, like like uh, like on on the catwalk, you know, right before you know the whole the bit that ends with Vader saying I'm your father. I, I love that moment because I always get a chill like rewatching that because I'm like, oh my god, this is you know the last moment of innocence. This is you know the last moment before you know the Star Wars where we thought you know Vader was just some guy who killed Luke's father. You know becomes you know, the Star Wars where he has to reckon with the fact that, you know, this figure of evil is his father. And there's something so, you know, thrilling about that. Like, even, you know, knowing what's going to happen, there's still, like, there's still a lot of goosebumps involved. I, I, I've prepared uh, what I call the, 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 the Captain Nita combo pack. It's a, it's a special tribute to one of the great underrated Star Wars characters, Captain Nita. So <laughs> here we go. Captain Nita, 
The ship no longer appears on our scopes. And then also, <laughs> apology accepted, Captain Nida. <laughs> That's good. I like that you put a little stink on uh, Nita there. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. I love, I love that's, that's seriously like no joke. That's that's one of my favorite, you know, parts of the movie. Like, I love that he like murders some dude and says apology accepted. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is some cold ass shit. <laughs> well, you've heard my uh, one Yoda line, but I have one other Yoda line uh, that I say for the end so that I don't blow my voice out for the rest of the podcast. <clears throat> Concentrate. <laughs> isn't isn't that the one where like he's like he like Luke is on like doing the handstand and Yoda's like yep. like kind of standing on his legs and concentrate. <laughs> exactly, and it's like, how did Yoda not know? That was going to happen. Come on, man. I, I like, too, that, like, Yoda's, like, I feel like his eyes, like, kind of, like, widen as he talks. <laughs> it's the Yoda oh shit face, for sure. But By the way, that's a that's a great, you know, motif, like, like Luke dropping things with the Force. Like, R2, you know, Yoda, that rock, you know? No, you're right, for sure, for sure. Sure, there's a lot to be said about that. But that's for another time. I think that's going to be it for us. Uh, now more than ever, the Force will be with you. Always. <laughs>